0: I'm guessing it was around 2010, something like that, 10, 11 years ago. My kids were really small, I remember that. It was Christmas time, it was December. We had actually left uh, my grandma's house, who has now passed away, but she, she at the time lived in a little place called Crestwell, North Carolina, Washington County. If you know that area, uh, you either have family there or you were lost, okay? it's the middle of nowhere, and we were there on purpose, uh, and, and it was late at night. We left my grandma's house. It was like 11, 11.30 at night. We're leaving presents time or whatever, and we're driving home. I remember I remember it being a nice, crisp, cold night, and I remember the sky was beautifully crystal clear. And as I looked at the sky, I saw a bajillion stars that we didn't see in where I lived in Greenville at the time. I was like, man, it's so clear. And so with my little kids, I was like, I'm gonna do a super cool dad thing we're gonna pull over and look at the stars. And so we did, so we pulled over and my wife and I got out, we bundled up with the the blankets and the coats and we got out like kinda on the hood of the car and we're, you know, our kids are on a four and two or something at a time and and they're just looking at the stars and it's beautiful and, and we had a moment, whatever. Then we get back to the car to set off and go home. At least that was the goal. When I got back in the car and put my foot on the long skinny pedal, which is the one that makes you go, I didn't go no going happened. Uh, When I had pulled over, I remember distinctly feeling like the ground was nice and solid. Maybe it was frozen. I don't know. But as we sat there, what did happen was my car sunk into some very soft and nasty mud. And so now it's like getting close to midnight. We are stuck on the side of the road in the middle of nowhere with two little kids and no cell phone service. (laughs) So I'm like, all right, what are my options? I get out, we are bottomed out. We're, I mean, we're, we are at the axle in mud. I'm like, hey, we're not getting out. I'm driving like a Chevy Cavalier. Okay, this thing is not made for rock climbing. So we're in this thing for good. So I was at the moment where I was like, okay, grandma lives like three miles that way. There might be another house between here and there. I don't know. It's midnight. So I'm at the precipice of the decision. Do I leave my wife and two small kids in our car and just start walking that way? Or is it closer to find a house that way? I don't know. Or what do I do? And I get out of the car. The decision was almost made. And then something amazing happened. This dude just shows up. I need to clarify. For the whole time that we sat there, no other cars passed us. Cornfields, barn owls maybe, stars, No other people, but when I get out of the car to walk to grandma's house, this dude shows up. It was like he had this like spidey sense. He probably was in his living room, sleeping on the couch, and he was like, I bet there's a city slicker stuck in the mud. I need to get up and go check on them. And so like, he just shows up, lo and behold, he's driving like an F-250. He's got a tow strap in the back of his truck and a winch. He doesn't say much, all right? He's like, stuck. Yeah, gives me the strap, hook it up. (laughs) Like, I'm laying in the mud, I get it hooked up. He's like, (laughs) pops us out. Kids are cheering, wife is relieved, dad is playing it cool like, yeah, this was the plan the whole time. And we head off back home. Now, (laughs) here's the deal. I tell that story because the moral of the story is this. Sometimes we need people. We need people that got what we ain't got we need people that have the resources that we don't have access to Sometimes we're stuck and we need someone else to come by and help pull us out And if this is true with strangers in the absolute middle of nowhere on the side of the road It has got to be true in the church we've got to be people who are looking for people who are stuck We gotta take whatever resources we've got and help to pull them out. And we gotta be willing to go out of our way to do it sometime. Because life is hard. And from an early age, we learn adages like, well if you want something done right, do it yourself. Right, you learn this. I don't know where that all comes up. Obviously we've experienced other people failing at tasks before. I think sometimes people let us down and they fail us. And so we uh, develop a mistrust of other people helping us a lot of times. Sometimes we encourage independence like that's a big deal. It's important to learn independence But we get to a point in our life sometimes where we're like, you know I'd rather kind of drown on my own than wave my hands and get help or I'd rather keep on driving on my own and just let them figure it out When in reality we need each other. This is the big idea. We is better than me We need each other we're in this series, Better Together. And last week, we started a conversation about what it means to be better together. It's about community. And last week, we dove into the book of Acts. We looked at the first church, and we saw how they were better together, how they shared everything in common, and people didn't have need, and people were literally selling their possessions so that people didn't go without. You know what I'm saying? And we're like, this is, this is a model of community. These people are looking out for each other. Let's make a difference in the world and, and model that in our own way. And... Uh, In my case, when I was stuck on the side of the road, I was stuck and I needed someone who had something that I didn't have. Today, as we kind of get into this next phase of this better together understanding or conversation, what I want to talk about is this next, like, more practical step. Okay, so, yes, we need each other. That's great. But for what and how? And the specific concept I want to get into today is that we need each other to connect with God. Now, don't get me wrong. You can connect with God on your own. Uh, your relationship with your God is a very personal thing. But man, the strength that we have in community to come along and pull each other out of the mud is enormous, exponentially huge. You cannot put a value on it. I've experienced it. I think that many of you would say, You've experienced it. We got to have each other. And so, this morning, what we're trying to do is look through the book of Hebrews. Okay, so if you've got a Bible today, go ahead and crack it open. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews. If you need a Bible, there's a, a shelf back there by the coffee bar. Feel free to go grab one at any time. If you want one to have, it's yours keep it we give them away every week if people need them write your name in the front Merry Christmas we want everybody to have a good readable version of the Bible or look it up on your phone we're gonna be in Hebrews and we're gonna be all over Hebrews today so I'm gonna have a lot of it on the screen behind me so that you can follow along Uh, what we're gonna do is start out with Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 because they're gonna lay down a few tenets of what the early Christians believed and they're gonna set the course for where we head for the rest of uh, of our time today so let's just let's just dive into uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 and this is how the writer of Hebrews kicks in with this community. He says, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He's talking about Jesus coming into the world. God has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. "...sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs." So as this writer of Hebrews kicks off, he's going to start with what I said, like the tenets of their faith. This is written to a group of believers, and a lot of people see the book of Hebrews as actually like an extended sermon or a couple of sermons. So you can read through the book of Hebrews as if you're listening to someone teach a sermon. And he starts off by just saying, listen, do you remember, church, this is what you believe. There's a God who loves you, he came into this world as a human being, he gave his life, uh, for For the ransom for your soul to, to pay the price for your sins, you need to remember this is what you believe, and then he spends the rest of the book of Hebrews reminding them that as you are trying to like achieve this goal of living for jesus don 't do it by yourself i wouldn 't say that 's the main goal of hebrews there 's a lot of the main goal of Hebrews, I think, is to address the supremacy of Jesus in all things. And so he compares Jesus to the Old Testament system. He compares Jesus to the way that we think. He compares Jesus to uh, you know, other, other faith thoughts and stuff like that. But, but in addition to that, he says, listen, if you're going to follow in this Jesus line of thought, you're going to need each other. And the reason I say that is because, check this out. At least 13 times in the book of Hebrews, this phrase is used before a teaching. The phrase let us i'm going to try not to say us like a salad let us okay let us and that, that i'm going to say it, i'm about to say it 13 times in a row so tune in okay really listen because i this is if i'm in your seat i'm zoning out for the next 13 things okay so listen because what he's going to say is these are things we need to do together let us do this let us do that let us do this let us do that okay so let's i'm going to scroll through them really fast they're going to be on the screen if you're a note taker you can probably just jot down the uh the, the verse in, and chapter and verse and then you could go back and look at each one of these would be worthy of its own message today okay Hebrews 4:1 Let us be careful therefore that none of you be found to have fallen short 4:11 Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience 4:14 4, Let us hold firmly to the faith we profess 4.16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence. 6.1. Let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward into maturity. 1022. Let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and with full assurance that faith brings. 1023. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. For he who is promised is faithful. 10, uh, 24, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. 12, 1 and 2 gives us two. First is, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And secondly, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. 12, 28, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and all 1313 let us then go to him outside the camp bearing the disgrace he bore 1315 let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise the fruit of lips that openly profess his name there is a ton of teaching in the book of Hebrews And over and over again, the author says to his community that he's talking to, let us together do this. If we're wanting to encounter, approach, and grow with our God, this isn't something that should be done in isolation, it is something that needs to be done in community. We're better together. That's the message today. That's really what we're doing. But how can we approach God? How can we grow to God together? I, I want to go back to Hebrews 10, 22. Like I said, we could go through every one of those and say, like, what do we need to do together? Uh, but let's look at Hebrews 10, 22, try to take it all in. He says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that faith brings. So what are we doing? We're drawing near to God with assurance together. Because sometimes I don't have a lot of assurance, right, with my faith. Like I might doubt things. I might have questions. But if we come in together, we can learn things. And he keeps going. He says, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water that's imagery to Old Testament stuff they used to sprinkle stuff and wash all kinds of stuff when it came to making things ceremonially clean and so there's a lot of us and we and our going on in that passage and it's like when we kind of want to approach God we need to do it together and we can help keep each other clean. And we can help keep each other honest. And we can help keep each other accountable. And so the way that I kind of want to approach this, there's a lot of ways that we can kind of address this question. I, I want to kind of workshop this a little bit as a church family. We are a group of people, us here, us online, those who are listening to the podcast later because they weren't able to make it. Like There's, there's a, a kind of finite group of people that kind of gathers together. And how are we going to do this? Well, we as a local church family have adopted this three-part goal that we use. And so it, it goes like this. It says that together we are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. Can we just kind of say that together just so we can, if, if you want to, if you, let's say it. Together we are God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. And I want to take this, I'm going to break it down a couple of different ways. The first way I want to break it down is just to take a look at uh, what for years we've called our strategy. Now this is just something that I talk about with like the staff. Like I don't really preach this or teach it very often but it's our strategy for making sure we're doing these three things and so maybe uh, if you ever did a venture in 10 with us before we talked about these the way we do this you can go and throw all three of them up there Patrick God chasing gray-shaped love agents the strategy for achieving that is to use the word venture It's kind of part of where our name as a church came from, that we want to venture up, we want to venture in, we want to venture out. It's about action. These are verbs, okay? We want to do things. And so God chasing is about venturing up. I want to take God and make him a priority in all of my decisions. So in all the avenues of my life that I live, I want to put God there as a filter and say, okay, do I need to do this based on the fact that I want to be a God chaser? You get that? I mean, we're pursuing God, and so that's venturing up. It happens. We just did it through singing songs together. We have done it. We're doing it right now as we get into God's word, and you can venture up in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, and so there's grace shaped. This is venturing in. If I had to pick a word for this, it's a word we don't like. Uh, Maybe two words that we don't like. Uh, The word is vulnerable and transparent. Venturing in is about letting people in. It's also about going into other people's lives not in a nosy annoying neighbor kind of way but in a way that is about love and caring and so uh this is about community and relationships and what we say when we say grace shaped is this there are a lot of things in our life that can shape us your your education or lack thereof your wealth or lack thereof your experiences or lack there i mean a lot of things A lot of things can shape us, but once you come to Jesus, the ground is level, okay? And we are all shaped by His grace, period. So, your past, I'm not gonna say your past doesn't matter, because it very much shapes how we think and what we do, but in God's eyes, He shapes you. He says, Give me that lump of clay that is your life, let me form it. We're grace shaped. But to do that, we've got to be willing to venture in and, and, and be vulnerable, and be transparent. And, and that's, that's hard. And then the third thing uh, is about venturing out. And we say love agents. And so whether it's, you know, helping to pay for some book bags for kids in need, like we talked about a minute ago, or on the 26th when we're going to do service projects around the town, or more importantly, what you're doing in your own life, it says this. To some degree, I have become aware that God's love is in my life, okay? I think we're at different degrees with that. Some of us are feeling like, "Woo! I'm just full of God's love. And sometimes we come and like, maybe it's a trickle. Like, I don't know. Maybe there's a God that loves me. I don't know. But to whatever degree God's love is in our life, what we want to do is allow that to pour out into the world around us. That's being a love agent. That's venturing out. You follow? Venture up, venture in, venture out. That's the strategy. That's how we achieve the goal of being God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents. I want to look at it one other way, and that's just with three words. So you can throw those up there. God-chasing, grace-shaped love agents is about worship relationships and service i've kind of already described that so i don't want to spend a lot of time on that but it's about worship relationships and service and let me talk about those words a few um months ago we did a teaching series called made for monday you remember that some of you and it was a teaching series about like what do i do with my nine to five do you realize we spend the majority of our life at work like maybe the only thing we do more than work is sleep and I think statistics actually show we might work more than we <laughs> sleep in a lot of cases. So we spent a lot of time working and, and we, and, but what we kind of uncovered in that series was that like, no, you were made for Monday. God actually created you to do good works. So that's like one of the big things he wants you to do. He gave you your skills. He gave you your resources. Go do it. But as we were unpacking that, we came to the word work in the Bible and we understood that that word, specifically in one passage in the Old Testament, though it's also true in several other places, the word that's translated work can also be translated worship. So like when it says that like Adam was put to work in the garden, you could have said he was put to worship in the garden. Because another equally valuable or uh, equally good translation of that word is serve or service. Adam was put to serve in the garden. God created the garden. Get in there and take care of it. Go and serve the garden. Go and worship in the garden. Because when he was doing his work, when he was doing his service, it was a form of worship. You follow that? Like, that's a pretty cool concept. So when you come to the idea of service and worship, the case I want to make today is that they should be the same. That when we serve or we worship, there's really shouldn't be a big line between the two. There should be a lot of overlap. Worship is service. Service is worship, so that when we gather together, something amazing happens. Let's look at another passage. Um, No, actually, let me back up and talk about some things Jesus said first. Uh, Jesus, for example, says this in Mark 10, 43. He says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, that's Jesus, did not come to be served, but to serve And to give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus set the example of service. And we are never more in touch with Jesus than when we're serving. Because we're being like him. But Jesus also said this one time. He said, I want to thank you guys. Because when I was hungry, you gave me some food. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. And when I needed clothes, you gave me clothing. And the people with him were like, uh... When did we ever see you hungry and give you food? When did we ever see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we ever see you needing clothes and we gave you clothes? And Jesus says, well, it's funny you should ask that. Because anytime you serve one of the least of these, you've done it for me. There's a very thin line between worship and service. When we are serving other people in the name of Jesus, it's a form of worship. And when we're worshiping, it's a form of serving. Each other, God, it's a pretty beautiful picture when we come together and it's something that really is helpful when we do it together because when we come together something happens in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 it says this it's another let us let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching we need to make a point of having times where we get together because it's encouraging uh, for a long time, I was a youth minister. For about nine years, uh, actually, some of it while I was uh, you know, involved at Venture Church as, as our pastor, but uh, I was uh, the director of an organization called the Carolina Christian Youth Conference, CCYC. Every year, over 1,000 kids get together, middle schoolers and high schoolers and their sponsors, and it's an amazing time of worship. And they worship together, they serve together. And the mission of CCYC is that you bring kids together to uh, be the hands and feet of Jesus in their own community. We want to send them back out to serve, right? That's our, that's our mission. That's our goal. One of my favorite parts is the director of that conference, and I still serve on that planning team, so I still enjoy it, to get to walk in, and there's like a, I'm going to call it the big room, okay? And that's where you've got like the big, everybody's in one space, and they're excited. And I love watching these little churches like ours, where we'll bring 10 or 20 students and their sponsors and to see the students walk in like this and they're so excited because everyone's together. There's something encouraging about seeing other people like-minded with you but that's not even the best part. The best part for me is after the conference when I've gotten texts and phone calls and emails from youth leaders who said, thank you CCYC so much for putting on this event because you wouldn't believe how much it has inspired our students and encouraged them to go back home and make a difference, to live differently. When we get together and we see people serving God together, worshiping God together, it's encouraging. That's why the author here says don't give up meeting together, do what you gotta do. Because we need each other. I love the fact that our church has a men's and women's retreats coming up in October. Uh, I've never been to the women's retreat, they don't invite me, I don't know what's up with that. But the men's retreat, I love going to every year because, like, guys that have been, man, when we show up, you know, it's like you might have a lot on your plate. Like, I I don't know if I can get the time off work, but, man, we show up. And we're, we're there for less than 24 hours, but it feels like three days because we're just in it with each other in a good way. We love it. And by the time we leave, we're like, man, that was so encouraging. And I have witnessed men in our church come home as better fathers, better husbands, better employees, because just being together with people who are on the same page... Seeking God together has allowed them to become better servants, better worshipers. We need each other. It's important. Which leads us to kind of the last part of our workshopping today. Okay, sure. Better together. All right? That's, that's just called, you know, synergy. You know, you all know the adage or the whatever of like horses, like three horses can pull like exponentially more weight than two horses or something. Like it, it adds up. All right, we get it philosophically. But how does it work practically? Because here's the big question. How can I make something so personal, like my faith, a group effort? Think about that question. Because that's that's the crux of what it means to venture in, (laughs) to be grace shaped. How can I make something so personal, like my faith, a group effort? Because let's be honest, I don't wanna talk about my sin. I don't wanna talk about my brokenness. I don't wanna let people into all these areas of my life. Um, in his book, Better Together, uh, which is the book that I got this series title from, there's an author named Rusty George, and he says this the answer to this question he has How can I make something so personal as my faith a group effort? He says, Well, the trick is that we have to move from a consumer mentality to a community mentality. What in the world does that mean? <laughs> We've got to move from a consumer mentality to a community mentality. I- I- I've mentioned consumer Christianity lots of times from this spot. Uh, But what I mean when I say consumer Christianity is this. It's easy for us to be involved in Christian community and go to church the same way that we go to a yard sale or a flea market. Okay? There's a bunch of stuff on the table. You stop because when you were driving by, it was like, looks like they got cool stuff. (laughs) And so you get out and you pick through the table. And if the price isn't what you want it to be, you leave it. If it's an item that's trash, you don't want it. But you take what you want tuck it under your arm and you go pay 50 cent for it and you leave and sadly that's how we often treat our Christian community I pick and choose what I want what's good for me if the price is right and then I leave and, and and that's a little bit uh harsh but man I've been paying attention for a couple of decades and I think it's pretty true and so if, if it's true, that how, how do I let people in? Like how do I grow my faith, something so personal, in community, and the, and the advice is we gotta get rid of consumer mentality and switch to community mentality, what does that look like? Community mentality means saying it's not about me, it's not about just what I want. As a Christian leader, it's frustrating sometimes. There's a phrase we use a lot. We say, uh, we say that people are church shopping. And we, and we treat the idea of going and looking at different churches the same way we look at like picking out a pair of shoes. Now, granted, it's a big responsibility to decide where we're gonna plug our church, family into a church. Like, so I'm not like completely slamming the idea, um, but if you're already a mature Christian, what if the mentality is, let me go around and see who needs me? Like, what's the need that they have? Man, they don't check any of my boxes. Great. <laughs> Let me see if I can come in and help grow this place and help build the community. See see the shift in the mentality? Um, So, the first thing is this. By definition, worship and service is about what you can give, not what you can get. If our goal is to grow together in how we approach God and how we connect with God, we've got to realize that our purpose is to give. Give. As much as we can like we're on different levels with our faith and on our journey and so some maybe can give more than others in this effort to help community happen but it's not about what i can get it's about what i can give and so what i want to do is give us maybe three real quick pieces of advice that each one of us can independently uh apply to our own lives and maybe grow in it and maybe we can start to kick consumer christianity down the road and we can be better community i need to say this I am thrilled with our church family. I don't feel like we have a super consumerist Christianity church family. So this is not me like, you know, tongue lashing our church family. I'm just saying let's avoid it, right? It's really easy to get into that place. Uh, here, here are three pieces of advice that, um, that, that jump out at me. Okay, here's, here's the first thing we do to get into community mindset. The first thing is this. We need to work on turning worship services into conversations, Worship services and the conversations uh, because a consumerist mentality. I'm at Walmart. I'm at Amazon. It's more like uh, it's more of a monologue of like either okay, I'm just letting someone talk to me, talk to me, talk to me, or it's me talking. Like I want this, I want this, I want this. But conversation is two way, right? And what I don't mean is like okay, find a church leader and complain about something. Like that's not at all what I mean. No one has time for that. We ain't got no business. This is, complaining is not what the church needs to be doing. We need to be communing. We need to be growing. And so, what does that mean? Before you leave today, make sure you said hi to someone. And don't walk out being frustrated because no one said hi to you. Instead go, did I say hi to someone? When you pick up your kids from their class today, make sure you tell them thank you for taking the time to spend some time with your kids. Thank the people that made the coffee. Uh, there's a group up here and back there, that, a lot, and, and back there, that got here at 7.30 this morning to make sure this was all together. What if before you left today, you took some time to just say, "Hey, how you doing?" Thank you for doing that. I'm gonna tell you this: the group that shows up at 7:30, they're all in on community. I see them every week, and they are all in, and they are not like too cool to talk to anybody. They want to, that's why we're here. We're here to build community. We say every week we get to create a space for people to worship. Let's do that. So that's just like basic like making friends skills. Um, but but how about how about something more specific? Ask this question: How are you doing? You see how that's community. That's not just me, me, me. Ask this question. This is a huge one. And mean it when you say it. So ask yourself, do I mean it? But how can I pray for you this week? Because that opens up a door to another conversation. And I want to caution you. Don't ask that too many times. After you've got a few things to pray about, maybe say, okay, Lord, help me remember to actually pray through this this week. Ask as many times as you feel like you can. But you see what that means when you start to do this uh, this conversation begins to happen here's another thing maybe you got a lot of questions I, there's there's someone who goes to our church and i love what she does when she reads her bible and stuff during the week she writes down questions that she's got in her bible She go, like, well, i don't understand this and she'll come with her notebook and she comes with questions so she she doesn't feel like she's in a place where she can like like give a lot but she wants to make it a conversation she'll just say hey i was reading in you know this book this week what what do you think this means it's a conversation something that i said or someone said on stage ask a question about how can I grow? Um, and here's the last thing. As you're sitting in a worship setting, now we're on Sunday morning, recognize church is not just Sunday morning, okay? But we're talking about conversation. Try to start seeing everything we do as a church family through the eyes of someone else. When we're a consumer, we only see it through our own eyes. But ask yourself I wonder what they're going through, I wonder what loss they're experiencing. I wonder what brokenness they have in their life. I wonder what needs they have. And when you start to see that, maybe you can start to ask yourself, I wonder how I could stand in the gap. Maybe I don't have all the questions to eternal wisdom, but I could definitely come and uh, change a light bulb for you if you need me to. Right? And so it's these practical things. Make worship a a conversation with your church family. Here's, Here's a second idea. During the week, find ways to share the Bible and prayer with each other. And I say each other. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going I'm to scale it down. With one or two other people. Okay? The Bible and prayer reading. Many of you can do this without hardly lifting a muscle. Okay? This is a challenge. My family is challenged to do it all the time. And I try to do it. And my wife tries to do it. And we don't always do it great. But this is simple. If you live in a house with other people, read the Bible out loud together. <laughs> I didn't go to Bible college. Okay, cool. Neither did the rest of my family. They do it. Um, so open the bible and read it with someone else schedule some time with a friend or a coworker to open the bible and read it together and then the other challenge is pray together you'll be blown away at how suddenly community happens because you let down walls and you become vulnerable and you become transparent and you become honest with what you want to say that you believe start conversations with people during the week find ways to share the bible and prayer with each other here's the third one find ways to serve together Um, this is maybe the most practical way that I have found to build community because I can only speak as a guy, but a lot of times we as men aren't real gushy with our feelings, but dude, if you give me like a real nice cordless drill and a job, like I'm on it. (laughs) Uh, Let me dig a hole, let me nail something to something else even if it doesn't need to be nailed together. And and I think that's not just a gender-based thing. I think when our hands are busy, we open up. And we share. And so find ways to serve together. A really easy way to serve together is through a Sunday morning setup team. We do that every single week. That's why I constantly say my best friends at our church family are the people that I serve with uh, through those teams. But, you know, September 26th is a great opportunity for you to sign up for one of those things. But don't wait for, like, the church calendar to get filled with something else to serve with. There are so many opportunities to serve around the city. So get with a friend that you know. They don't have to attend this church. They don't have to even believe in Jesus the same way you do. They could be a straight-up self-professed atheist but you could say hey i'm thinking about going down and helping out this community need that we have you want to come serve with me it'll break down walls it'll build community it'll create space for us to put the consumer mentality away because service and worship is not about what i can get but it's about what i can give and i can't think of a more tangible way to give than to give with your hands and your feet and your time and your skills So find ways to serve together. Those are some practical things. As we move forward in this better together idea, can we as a church family kind of agree to this? Let's put flesh on the bones of uh, of our motivation to be community. Let's reach out and have conversations. Let's pray and get into God's word. And let's serve together. Why? Why would we do that? Aside from the fact that like, it seems like a good idea, I think there are some great benefits to this that I want you to know about. And, and there are two that jump way to the top for me that I just want to share as we close today. Number one, when we are together, we find joy together more quickly. Uh, when you're hurting and when you're going through downspot spaces in your life, down, low, low places in your life, it's sometimes hard to find joy because you're just trying to keep your head above the water. You are just treading water as hard as you can and it's hard to prioritize joy. I want to remind us, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I just want to remind us, like happiness is an experience. Disney is the happiest place on earth. Well, of course it is. They spend billions of dollars making sure you're happy, okay? But joy is a choice. You can have joy uh, when Disneyland is closed. (laughs) You can have joy in the hardest places in our life. But making that choice is really difficult when you're on your own. But if there's somebody by your side that can put their arm around your shoulder and remind you that life is still good, that God is still good. When I think about joy, I always go back to another place in Hebrews, and we looked about it in Hebrews chapter 12. You You know, Jesus was hanging on the cross. Hebrews chapter 12 says that he did it for the joy set before him. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down at the right hand of the Father. The joy of the cross? Like what joy was set before him on the cross? I believe that the joy of the cross was that he knew that beyond the cross was community. He knew that he was going to have community with people who would turn to him. He knew that mankind would have a way back to God. He made the choice to find joy in that. Joy is something that we can find together. There's an author named Eugene Peterson. He actually translated the message version of the Bible, if you like that version of the Bible. He says joy is actually not a requirement of Christian discipleship. Rather, it is a consequence. The Apostle Paul calls it a fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. That when God moves in, we can experience joy even when life is hard. And the quickest way to get there is together. Why? Because we can find joy together. The second reason why to do this together is, I think it's one of the best ways to calm our anxiety. To calm our anxiety. Our anxiety is calmed. When we do it together, uh, Hebrews 4:16 says, "Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need." A lot of us is in that verse again, that when we come to God together, we can find mercy and we can find grace. And when we find that relief valve, mercy and grace in our life, it brings peace. Philippians chapter 4 talks about the peace of God that transcends all understanding that happens when we guard our hearts and our mind in Christ Jesus. Peace comes. Anxiety is, is rampant in our world, leading to depression and all kinds of other psychological issues. And I think a lot of it has to do with our isolation. But when we can be together with people, we can have people that, man, you, it is so calming to look at someone else who sees what you're going through and can say this, I've been there. Parents, you ever had a parent that's a little bit farther down the road than you, who's like, oh, boy, I remember that. Don't worry, it's a a phase. (laughs) okay. you ever dealt with an addiction, a major addiction? I I love how organizations like Alcoholics Anonymous pair people who have gotten past the addiction with people who are going through it and can look at them and say, listen, you can do this because I've been there and I've seen it. Your anxiety can be calmed. And one of the best therapies we can have is to know that somebody's with you. Jesus in one of the darkest moments of his life and he's praying before he's going to go hang on the cross. And he gets on his knees and he's praying and it's funny because the, discipleship's, the disciples kind of get a bad rap here because they keep falling asleep. And Jesus comes out of his prayer time several times like, dude, you can't stay awake for just a little bit longer. I'm praying here. But here's the, the interesting thing. He didn't send them away. Because I believe that in Jesus' darkest moment, when he had what must have been the most anxiety and stress that he could have, anyone could take on because he's about to hold the sins of the world on his shoulders, you know what he wanted? He wanted his closest buddies nearby because together we can ease our anxieties. Joy and calm and anxieties, Those are two great reasons that we're better together and we need to seek God together. Um, that night, while I was stuck on the side of the road and was sitting there wondering, am I going to have to walk back to my grandma's house? Um, I was so glad that the dude showed up with the truck. I really was. But as I look back on that, I don't remember a night of fear and panic. Uh, Partially because that's something I don't do very often, is fear and panic. But also because even in a moment of uncertainty, even before the dude showed up on the truck, I wasn't alone. My wife was there. Our kids were there. Granted, we were probably putting on a tough face in the moment. But we knew that at the very least, Grandma's house is nearby we're just a couple miles from cell phone service. We didn't feel completely lost and abandoned. And I think that's a snapshot of what could happen when we open up in community and we learn that we're better together. Let's pray.